What's good, listeners? Our guest returning to the Chris Collins Show, Millennial Talk Show, on Just Talking, is a Vox film critic and CCS contributor, Alyssa Wilkinson. How's it going, fam? It's going all right. How are you guys? Good. Hello. I am fabulous. It's starting to get sunny in SoCal, which uh, I don't know. Snowing here. Snowing in New York. Yes. I love it. But let's get right on into it because I got a lot to discuss with you, obviously, because we got the big weekend showing up for the Golden Gloves. But I like to switch notes on this one because the 2021 Academy Award nominations will be announced on March 15th. And let's get right on into it. What is your opinion for the best film of the year? Um, so the film I picked myself was a film called The Painter and the Thief, which you can see on Hulu. Um, it's pretty fantastic. But what I pick and what the Academy will pick for the Oscars <laughs> is usually different. Um, so, you know, I'll be curious to see what they come up with this year. I think uh, Minari could be a hot pick. I think Nomadland could, um, you know, uh, One Night in Miami. Judas and the Black Messiah. There's a whole lot of films that are floating around out there that could kind of break ahead. But because it's been such a weird year, it's a little hard to judge what's kind of pulling to the top right now and what right. might still be, uh, you know, still be in contention. But I have to be honest with myself. I've never heard of Painter and the Thief until you just mentioned it right now. I know Why? me either. Right? <laughs> I so was like, like, what is this? I now must watch tonight. <laughs> it's not even on the listing of what I've seen for predictions for the Golden Globes, not even for the Oscars. So why should millennials watch this film? Oh, it's just wonderful. It's uh, it's so it's technically nonfiction, although it's clearly going to be remade into a fiction project at some point. And it's um, about a painter who one she's not a super famous painter or anything but one night her, two of her paintings are stolen from the gallery and she's not really sure why or <laughs> why would anyone steal them and so um she tracks down one of the guys who stole them who can't remember why because he was very high when he stole them <laughs> and they develop this kind of friendship a interesting kind of relationship and so it tells their story from different angles it's really a tremendous tremendous movie um but you know people people tend to miss great nonfiction movies in general so i'm never too surprised when someone says they haven't seen it but it's it's on hulu and you can watch it <laughs> it's got that uh sort of suspense that maybe you wouldn't necessarily think you would be getting into the film is that what yeah you're I, you know i think it's it's sort of just about like this friendship this unusual relationship and like how we creatively inspire one another but it also has a little bit of a mystery in the middle of it which is nice i like that but you know the one thing i do want to jump into is and for the listeners out there here's one sign things are starting to go back to normal so the 2021 Golden Globes is happening this Sunday, February 28th on NBC. And for mm -hmm. the first time in nearly 78 years, the Golden Globes nominated three women for Best Director, taking most of the category and marking the first time that more than one woman has been recognized in the category. And Alyssa, I know that you're not the craziest fan of the Golden Globes, but I must ask as I was sort of left with utter disbelief. Were you surprised to see Spike Lee being snubbed by the Golden Globes for his latest film, Defy Bloods? Um, I'm never too surprised when Spike is uh, is snubbed because he is still someone who 
I think some people think of as like a niche filmmaker. Unfortunately, I also have um, found all year long that when I when people say to me, did any movies come out this year? And I'm like, well, the, on Netflix, there was a Spike Lee movie. People just missed it. Um, but also the Golden Globes picks. It's like it, it's sort of like needle in a haystack trying to predict what they're doing and why, um, yeah. you know, they kind of notoriously go for whatever movie sent them the best swag so um so i'm guessing <laughs> netflix Lee's problem he didn't uh kiss that well it's netflix's problem right they're probably <laughs> pushing some other movie harder than that one um even though that movie is really tremendous so right. it was yeah. one of my favorite movies i, I was shocked, shocked could you, could you share the uh the yeah, list of it for it best right director here. marissa because uh Alyssa, i wanted you to view this list and so when we pop it up right here, mm -hmm. do you still feel the Globes isn't a precursor to the Academy Awards? Because when I look at this, it feels like they had a few too many boozes drinking. <laughs> I, ha I, right? What, what's well, your no, thoughts I, on this? <laughs> so I think these are totally reasonable. Um, I'm not surprised by any of them. I mean, these are five of the biggest, hottest movies from the year. But like we said, you know, Trial of the Chicago 7 is a Netflix movie. Mank is a yeah. Netflix movie. So this explains kind of, you know, Netflix only has so much money to spend. So they picked their winners um, and they're, they've been trying to push those. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are these are movies I think we can expect to see at the Oscars, uh, you know, with additions of other films that are going to get added to the list. I think, you know, again, Minari, I would expect to see Judas and the Black Messiah, which is on HBO. Um, so there's... You know, the the one thing we do know is that the Academy has never been very good at nominating women in the directing category. Yeah. So we'll yeah. see. Maybe maybe they'll actually manage to do it this year. <laughs> but I had to ask you this, uh, Alyssa, because you have a phenomenal piece on the uh, on Vox right now talking about the contrast difference between the Oscars and the Golden Globes. And would you uh, share that with the listeners? Because as a you know someone who studied film for almost like seven years now and just graduated film i had no idea about any of this so can you uh please share this with our listening audience yeah i mean a lot of people think the golden globes are important because they show them you know they kind of express themselves as being important but it's sort of a cyclical thing so the globes are on tv and because they're on TV, they seem important. And so because they seem important, they're on TV and it kind of goes in a circle, right? But the yeah. Globes are actually picked by, um, they just, the number is 87 this year, wow. uh, in 87 people in an organization called the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. There was a really tremendous, wild investigation uh, by the LA Times this Sunday about you know who's in it so first of all for instance there are no there are no black people in the hfpa which is mm. which is interesting um it's an organization of people who are all based in southern california and all cover hollywood in some capacity for a foreign outlet but nobody really knows who's in the group some of the people don't really work in the industry barely at all um they take a lot of kickbacks <laughs> um and so you know, the reason that they're still talked about is that NBC pays them a lot of money to put their show on the air and movie studios love to try and court them to get visibility um, because there's only 87 of them. So you can contrast that with the Academy um, 
that picks the Oscars. So the Film Academy, that group has almost 10,000 members and all of those members. 10,000 to 80. Yeah. Huge difference. And now (laughs) knowing there's no black people on the porn press here, now I can see why the the five blood. Now they're only shooting themselves in the holster. They have the gun in the holster and they keep continually shooting themselves in the foot. Right. And so, and they're just, they're not even, they're 10,000 people who've worked in the film industry, right? You're not, there are no journalists in the academy. There are no critics in the academy. It's just people who've, you know, they're a director, they're a writer, they're an actor, maybe they're a producer or a publicist. People who actually work in the industry can be in the academy. Um, that's a different group of people. They're going to have a different group of picks uh, and they have different ways of thinking about the best films of the year. Um, you know, and the Golden Globes also cover TV. And if you compare this to the Emmys, uh, the TV Academy, I believe, has about 25,000 people in it. So there's wow. just a big, big difference there. And that helps to explain why the Golden Globes picks are always really wild and wacky. Um, but also one thing the LA Times report said was, you know, a lot of people were confused by why Emily in Paris, which is not a good show. I mean, it's you can watch it, it's fun, but it's definitely not great TV. Like, why was it getting all these Golden Globe nominations? And it turns That's out the that- one with Michelle Pfeiffer? No, this is the TV show with um, oh. Lily Collins, where she Thank goes you. to Paris and, yeah. and she's a kind of annoying American Instagram influencer there. <laughs> um, she, they, Paramount Networks, which made the show before they sold it to Netflix, um, flew 30 of the 87 members um, to the set in 2019 and put them up in a hotel that costs 1400 bucks a night. Wow. So that tells you a little bit about what kind of a group it is. So what we're learning now is the People's Choice Awards has more credibility than the Golden Globes, it seems like. With all yeah. the eight- <laughs> that's, that's crazy. And mm-hmm. you just said something that I actually want to uh, jump down to a, another talking point, Marissa. Let's get right on into it because last week, that's that's when we're moving on. <laughs> so last week, yeah. So last week, director Martin Scorsese wrote an op-ed piece for Harper Magazine, paying tribute to director Federico Fellini, also discussing how streaming and current movie industry pa- practices have negatively impacted the art of cinema. So we're gonna show a little paragraph from Martin Scorsese's op-ed piece. As recently as 15 years ago, the term content was heard only when people were discussing the cinema on a serious level, and it was contrasted with and measured against form, he writes. Then gradually, it was used more and more by the people who took over media companies, most of whom knew nothing about the history of the art form or even cared enough to think that they should. Sounds like he's talking a little bit maybe about the Hollywood foreign press, but also, Alyssa, Scorsese goes on to say that he and other filmmakers have benefited from the opportunities uh, from streaming platforms uh, present like his recent film, the Irishman funded and distributed by Netflix, but he criticizes their use of algorithms. So Alyssa, do you agree with Scorsese that algorithm calculations serve to treat the viewer solely as a consumer and nothing else? Yeah, I do. I I'm totally on team Scorsese here. (laughs) I mean, this is a man who devoted his entire life to either making movies or making sure that people Uh, who make movies who might not otherwise get the platform 
do get the platform. So if you want to see some great stuff from around the world, look for Scorsese's World Cinema Project or look for movies that he's produced. Um, he's often really good at getting a movie that otherwise wouldn't be seen by people in front of people because they recognize his name and they think, oh, yeah. well, he he knows his stuff. I mean, you know, what he's really pointing to is that streaming platforms are essentially technology companies designed to maximize profit. There's nothing maybe inherently wrong with that, but it does mean that a lot of the stuff that's out there is basically designed to feed a beast that they've already created instead of doing the risk-taking you know, unsettling, surprising thing that art should do. And it's not that all art has always been good for all of time. <laughs> I mean, nobody would know that more than Scorsese. He's probably seen more movies than anybody alive at this point. <laughs> but, um, but what he does know is that when we call movies and TV shows just content, as if it's like candy, we throw down a tube at someone, then there's no incentive to artists right to make better work because the goal is just to sell your stuff um so it's a kind of a tug of war and the algorithm yeah. is basically just going to feed you back stuff that it knows you like um that if you think of that in terms of like your diet right if you only eat the stuff that you know you like then you're never going to try anything new um and certainly that kind of incuriosity i think is really bad for the film industry but it's even worse for the viewers which makes sense i mean you know when you're watching on netflix for example and you watch a netflix film obviously the algorithm is going to try to give you a netflix bite of something that they produced am i am i correct on that um yeah they will do that well they'll do it you know it doesn't matter to them what you watch right because they're you're not paying directly for it but uh what they do want is to find out what you like and then just figure out how to make more of the same thing mm. um which again, of course, this has always been part of Hollywood. It's always been a tug of war between the commercial and the artistic. Um, but the algorithm itself is not a human, right? There's no like conversations happening there. It's just kind of data points. Um, it's the same thing that Facebook does when it just feeds us stuff that it yeah. thinks we will like on, on our feed. Yeah, I have to admit, I love the algorithm. I, like, I binge, I, don't, I, I read more than I watch. So when I watch something, I'm like, oh, that was so good. And then when Netflix like, you might like this. I'm like, I think I might. Um, I and so like, do I that. do really enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, everyone does. That's the point. It's supposed to be something that like tickles your your pleasure center, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, one thing that I miss so much with theaters not being open here in New York right now is letting a curator um, or a programmer you know, say we're going to show six films about, I don't know, like detectives. Right. Yeah. And then you go and you watch them and you've, you've learned something new about the art form. Maybe you find new appreciation for a filmmaker or whatever. It's just a different kind of viewing. Um, and I think, you know, obviously, as you said, Scorsese, he has freely admitted and is very upfront about the fact that nobody was going to make the Irishman because of how risk averse Hollywood studios are right. and Netflix gave him money for that. And that's great. And it's a great film. Um, but I also talked to lots of people who are like, Oh, I, you know, I wouldn't watch the Irishman. It's like too long or something. Like yeah. That. I mean, it could have been treated like, I guess a Zack Snyder cut of the justice league, but he decided to release it in his full. But Alyssa, do you remember last year when we discussed Scorsese's op-ed piece for the New York times that argued that Marvel movies are not cinema? 
So, do you agree with Scorsese that the new era of cinema determines value in a film by the amount of money to be made by any given property? Yeah, I think that's pretty obvious right now, right? The mon- the movies that get money thrown at them are the ones that they know are a guaranteed home run. Um, you know, there are outliers. So, like Jason Bloom and Bloomhouse makes... Um, very cheap horror films, very cheap. They're like $5 million is like the yeah. top end of the budget for any of them. And then they make a lot of money back because they're horror films and because he has interesting taste and he likes to put interesting projects into gear and that's great. Um, but, you know, Hollywood uh, is a fundamentally conservative profit-making industry. That's what they're interested in. And um, it's really independent filmmaking where you start to see people taking risks um, and there was a time when you could have seen that in the mainstream and it's just harder now. Yeah, I- I'm a little surprised with that response from you because I sort of kind of disagreed with uh, what Scorsese was saying, because if that was truly the case, Marvel's Endgame would have and should have been nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars if that was the case. The value of how much money they made at the box office was tremendous. And that's kind of what I hammered you a little bit last year like i was so surprised with the global success of that film it didn't get anything on, well, on a level. the oscars aren't interested in valuing films the oscars are just purely interested in celebrating whatever they think the best of the year was um but they're also not the power people they're the people yeah. who work in the industry we're talking about and scorsese is talking about the people who have the money and the purse strings and make the decisions that's the value right and so to them Endgame is a hugely valuable property this is why yeah. disney will buy up everything right? right because they know the value of it um is you know is the Academy going to feel the same way? The little guys who've been, you know, acting or producing movies or doing makeup for 40 years, are they going to feel the same way? No, probably not. Um, But they don't constitute Hollywood. They're more like the workers in Hollywood. Right. It's like, you know, Alyssa, like why would millennials invest into working at the major studio companies when almost half of the movies nominated at the Golden Globes, and I guarantee you the Oscars, is from streaming services so isn't that where the millennials should work at now (laughs) well netflix is one of the big hollywood studios now they joined the mpa last year last year uh, or right after the oscars so um so they are the studio now they're they're Mm. as big and bigger than disney or well they're not bigger than disney nobody's bigger than disney but they're (laughs) at they're on that level right but all the streaming services are owned by the studios you know, Disney Plus is Disney, obviously. Um, you know, Paramount has theirs coming soon. NBC's Peacock is Universal. So uh, all of them are the studios, right? They're all the same thing. There's really only like six companies in Hollywood. But it's almost and- like they're hidden behind this mirage because when I was looking at the Golden Globes list, Netflix has a staggering 42 nominations across the film and television categories, while, you know, uh, Amazon Studios snagged 10. And then Hulu also uh, got 10 nominations as well. That's why I just feel like the Oscars is now, you know, Netflix presents <laughs> Oscars highlighting their films. Is that where you think we're slowly moving towards now? Well, again, we have to think in terms of streamers are distributors, but the production companies are still at the studios. So Hulu has stuff from Fox, 
mostly, which is owned by Disney, right? So we're we're really just like, it's just apples and oranges at this point. It's all the same stuff. And that's really what Scorsese is getting at, which is that we're being slowly accustomed to thinking of a movie as just a piece of content that you can watch however you want and in whatever shape you want. And, um, and he, you know, he doesn't agree with that, neither do I. But I think when we're thinking in terms of working in the industry, I mean, the real risk-taking people are just choosing to be independent and work outside the industry, but they have to know, and they do know that they're not going to, you can't make a lot of money that way. You're not going to become wealthy. On the other hand, one of the year's biggest films, Nomadland, um, you know, that's a, that's a searchlight film, which means it's under Fox, which means it's under Disney. Um, But her previous film was a very low budget independent film, The Rider. Um, And her next film is The Eternals for Marvel. So Chloe Zhao may have figured out something. She got that Marvel ticket. (laughs) (laughs) And like a lot of other people, a lot of, you know, a lot of people who appear in Marvel or make movies for Marvel, their goal is to make a big paycheck so that they can then go do risky stuff and not have to worry about money and unfortunately that's just how it works so true and that is the perfect transition to what we're about to be talking about right now so listeners did you know that the first episode of wandavision marks 563 days since the last marvel last marvel project was released in fact the last marvel project was spider-man far from home which came out way back in june 2019 now with the release of wandavision on disney plus millennials have stirred an internet frenzy debating the following so Alyssa, should marvel studios release episodes for binge watching or weekly releases uh they're doing it correctly i'm i'm still (laughs) completely confused by why people are arguing about this with wandavision and not like the mandalorian which came out you know it's a franchise property tv show on disney plus there's no difference there (laughs) so this is my little two cents um yes i love mandalorian as a weekly release it's almost an hour long i feel every single show is like a chapter in a in a good book i'm reading um, with WandaVision, it's gotten the season, it's gotten better. <laughs> These last couple <laughs> ones have been actually really, really good. But especially the first three could have been one show. I think having it as half an hour, yeah. I can't really sink in. And when I start getting sink, sunk in, it's like, that's it. And now I have to wait a week. And actually, I'm getting like angry. I'm like, <laughs> I would rather binge watch Wanda, be in that and see all that as it's grown. And even if it's like, give me at least an hour. So make two of hers at least an hour versus the half hour because really after end credits it's like 25 minutes okay right like any sitcom you know every sitcom that's ever come out works like that I, i mean it's it's just i think so my opinion is first of all I was so glad it wasn't being dropped all at once because I actually think it would harm the show um mainly because it's trying to mimic the feel of the sitcoms and extends the mystery that way um but also you can binge watch it. You just don't start watching it when it comes out. Like I, I find That's this right. to be, I mean, <laughs> I want this to is, with the people. I this is exactly what people say millennials problem is, is that we're impatient <laughs> and we feel like we need to have everything right away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, like, I'm old enough to remember watching shows as they came out week by week. It's not actually that difficult. And I hated In fact, it. lots and of I TV happens that too. way. And I, 
hated it. I love binge watching. <laughs> so if you wish to binge watch WandaVision, the easy answer is don't watch it until it's all out and then you can binge watch it, you know, like anybody ever did uh, with TV. But, uh, but you know, that's just, um, that's, that's the sign of the times. I think this show is terrific. I think a show about grief, uh, it, it's the first Marvel property that I've ever liked from the jump. Um, wow. I don't think that, I think their movies are very, you know, fine. Um, they're not very risky or they're not very, you know, they're fine. They're forgettable um, for the most part. But I think this this is a really interesting way to think about how people deal with grief. Um, and if there's one thing that Marvel has done really well as far as thinking about like human experience, it is that that question of like grief and loss and all of those things and the trade-off between being powerful and being able to process horrible things that happen. So Yeah, because I've noticed with WandaVision, there's tons of Easter eggs. So do you mm -hmm. feel like because they have so many of those elements, uh, you know, encouraging the viewer to look in the set closer, uh, maybe even the costume design, maybe what Agatha all along has been saying in her dialogues, uh, do you feel like that kind of impact, uh, of that kind of interest wouldn't have sustained very long if it was a binge-watching show? Um, I have, I have no idea. I think in the age of the internet and the fact that you can, yeah. you can rewatch and rewatch the episodes, you know, people who are very into it. I just think that at this show, as with another one, I think about a lot in this context is Mad Men. Um, they were just shows that benefited from you watching it and having to sit with it and wonder about it for a week before you got your next hit. Um, instead of just being able to cruise through them. And uh, I think that's better for the show overall. Um, you know, and in three weeks, people who want to binge watch can binge watch or rewatch or do whatever they want to do. Uh, it's all about yeah. So true. All right. So we're going to be moving on to another topic. So last week, Amazon's Prime Video Direct self-publishing program issued a change in policy. Quote, at this time, we're no longer accepting unsolicited licensing submissions via Prime Video Direct for nonfiction and short form content, end quote. So unlike a Netflix, Hulu, or its sister division, Amazon Studios, one of the largest streaming platforms in the world was out of reach for vast numbers of companies and content creators. So Alyssa, how do you perceive this new change from Prime Video Direct? Um, as far as I can tell, and I don't know for sure, so this is a little bit of speculation, but as far as I can tell, part of the problem was there was a lot of very low quality and um, I would say misinformation content that was going up on Amazon. Um, it, it Literally anybody could make anything and put it up there and it would look official because it was on Amazon. Um, and so, you know, filmmakers who wanted to spread rumors about things or outright lies could easily put something up there and it would look official right oh so you're so, saying that there was no like a screening for these kind of films before there was no released? quality control you know netflix you can mm. you can't just put your stuff on netflix they have to put it there hulu they have to put it there right but um with amazon you could just put anything up and i think they're trying to slow that down and put some quality control in place which frankly if you go poke well they've probably taken a lot of down but a year ago if you went and poked around you could see the most insane things on that platform that were masquerading as truth because they're documentaries. So in an age of disinformation and unfortunately gullibility, I think it's a, it might be a smart move. 
Are we already starting to run out of time? Oh, we, you were actually like over. Way over time. Wow, that yeah. is insane. We had such a great conversation with you, Alyssa. And thank you again for joining the Chris College Show, Millennial Talk Show. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> we'll see you around, fam. Our brand new podcast off the fret. I love it. It's more time to chat. <laughs> Hello. You would look so jazzy. I love your outfit. How far would you go to start playing live music again? This slaps harder than my ex when she got her stimulus check. So, um, <laughs> so um, are you here to bring the sexual healing with your music? It's called Everything is Everything, and I guarantee you're going to hear this song in the future. I love the flow, man. Politically charged album. So if you get easily offended, this might not be the album for you. Brand new podcast off the fret. So excited. Um, has Kim Kardashian accidentally sent you a coochie shot? Do you want to stay there? It's completely your choice. Or you want to... <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. And you know what I love? Off the fret. More music, more music talk. Peace. Peace.